0: Bibles, if you will, and we're going to turn with me to Luke chapter twenty-two. I'm going to remain standing for the reading of the Lord's word, reading of God's word here today. All right, there we go. This is going to be Luke chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-five through fifty-three. He also said to them, "When I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag, or sandals." "'Did you lack anything?' "'Well, not a thing,' they said. "'Then he said to them, "'But now whoever has a money bag should take it, "'and also a traveling bag. "'And whoever doesn't have a sword "'should sell his robe and buy one. "'For I tell you, what is written "'must be fulfilled in me.' "'And he was counted among the lawless. "'Yes, what is written about me "'is coming to its fulfillment. "'Lord!' they said, "'Look, here are two swords.' Ah, that is enough, he told them. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. When he withdrew from them about a a stone throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done then an angel appeared to him strengthening him being in anguish he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples he found them sleeping exhausted from their grief why are you sleeping he asked them get up and pray so that you may not that so that you won't fall into temptation While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his, his right ear. But Jesus responded, No more of this! And touching his ear, he healed them. And Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police and the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day I was with you in the temple. You never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. Lord Jesus, in a time of, in our culture where it feels like we just want to scream out, no more of this, we pray your presence, that you would invite us in to follow you, Lord. To follow our good Father who desires the way of peace, who desires the way of faith and love. So God, here this morning, I pray that you would give us that spirit of knowledge, give us the spirit of wisdom and understanding as we open up your word to study and to be encouraged and to see your heart, Lord, the heart of the Father. Because as you said, if we've seen you, we've seen the Father. So Lord, show us the Father here this morning in a deep and meaningful way. First in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine if I came up this morning and told you that I just found out that I had a very aggressive form of some sort of disease and I wouldn't last the summer. Wow. Then imagine I told you that after I went away, because I'd be kind of been holding back the government and stuff like that with all these paperwork and things that I haven't filed or all these different things about you know, COVID restrictions that we didn't obey or whatever, you know, imagine that the government would come in and, and persecute you, even kill you, because things changed overnight in legislation in Washington. It's interesting you know, think about like what I would do. What I would do if I found out that you know I had just a few months to live, you know, I'd wrap up the Luke series. I wouldn't give up on on the Luke series, you know. I would finish it up. But I feel like there would be so many things that I'd want to tell you, and things that I'd you know, stay and do with a greater sense of intentionality, not urgency. There's a difference between a, a sense of intentionality and purposefulness and urgency. Urgency is led by fear. Intentionality is led by faith that simply cultivates you know this simply cultivates uh, you know this if we talk about urgency this culture of or this environment of anxiety and a culture of hurry and Jesus was neither Jesus in these in these last moments this is his last 24 hours of breath on this earth and yet and he knew what was coming. He had so much more to say. John even says, you know, if, if, you know, if everything that Jesus said and did were written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. But Jesus doesn't have a sense of urgency. He has a sense of intentionality and purposefulness. What about you? What would you do differently if you just found out that you had just a few months to live? What would you do more Intentionally, not urgently, out of fear, but intentionally out of purpose, out of desire. And the other question is, what keeps us from doing those things now? You know, you've heard the saying, or uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard me say about uh, Gibbs, right? NCIS, the Gibbs rules. He's got about fifty of them or more, right? And because you know, former Marine guy, and always had the r- different rules like. You know, rule number nine, right? Always carry a knife with you, right? <laughs> I obey he gives rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've kind of taken, the, taken his rules and, and sort of changed them a little bit for myself. And my rule number 11 is, is up right up this alley. Stay the course. Don't get distracted by lesser things and miss truly good things. Truly good, Tove things, like we talked about, it, about it a little over a year ago. There's a saying as well that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Or there's no such thing as an atheist at a funeral. When we are faced with the awareness of our mortality, it tends to reveal to us what truly matters in life. Jesus was fully aware of his mortality and eternity. His immortality as well. Being God Himself, Jesus wasn't hurried or anxious. He was focused and intentional. And so, this morning, the the title of my sermon is called "Following the Follow the Father." Jesus followed His Father all throughout His ministry, from the very beginning to the end. Remember when we were back in chapter I think chapter two or three when Jesus was found in, in the temple, when he was 12, and he realized his, his purpose in life. And his, parent, his, his earthly parents came to ask, where were you? He's like, did you not realize, understand that I had to be in my father's house? He didn't see Joseph going, hey! He understood the purpose that Jesus had in this world was to follow his true father, to let his words govern how he lived, governed his very identity, and governed his mission that he followed to completion. And so for this entire time, we see this, this example of to follow the Father through suffering and grief by faith and peace. Jesus perfectly exuded this entire phrase. He followed the Father through all the suffering and grief that he would experience that he, agreed, that he experienced during the life of his ministry and is about to experience through his death, his, his, his trials, his arrests and his trials and his sufferings and his beatings, his scourgings and his death, his crucifixion and death on the cross and his burial. And how did he do it? How did he endure the suffering and the grief? By faith, By faith. and peace. He knew the Father's will and he followed it. And he had a sense of peace, non-anxious presence in, an, in a hurried, a, a, a un, an unhurried, non-anxious presence in a hurried and anxious world. Jesus perfectly exuded that. All the things in the garden point back to the love of Jesus in the midst of his suffering, the grief of the disciples, based upon the faith and peace that Jesus taught and cultivated through his life and ministry with his disciples. What you're going through in your life? Jesus has been there. You may not think, oh, you didn't exactly, oh, did Jesus do exactly this or suffer exactly that? Maybe not. No. Did Jesus suffer from a bad father? No. But he suffered those emotions of abandonment. He suffered those emotions of being turned against by those closest to him. Jesus has been there. Did Jesus suffer from addictions? No. But he walked with people who did. He knows. He feels. He understands. Jesus has seen it. And Jesus can heal it because he used to, and he still does today. And he's shown himself to heal throughout history. Jesus is with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. He never abandons Us. In everything, he still calls us further in, further up, further in. In every area of our life and our faith, he's still calling us. Come in, come further up, come further in. The water's great, the water's fine. You might feel undeserving of good, but keep going because I made you deserving. So let's look at our passage here today, to see what, see how, see how this, this point is, is illustrated. So the first thing, what is written must be fulfilled. This first section can sometimes be um, misunderstood, right? Um, we have uh, you know, the the context of the sword, right? <laughs> like, okay, what, what's going on here? Is this like Jesus telling us we should carry our you know carry a sidearm, is this like carry a sword for our protection, like should I protect my family? But it's not really what this passage is talking about. This passage, is, is you know, um, there's not really a clear teaching on this because everyone seems to have their own opinion, right? Um, and, and each scholar itself has a different opinion. But I believe that Jesus' intention and the context of this is, is true. Remember, remember the, the word context. Remember context. We can't just pull this verse out of its context and rip it out to make a point. We have to see it in its overall context. Why is Jesus saying this about the sword? Well, He's saying this all the way back to verse 35. He's comparing the time when they sent them out with all this stuff to rely only on God for for provision, right? Because that was part of Jesus' training. He was trying to take away all the distractions of what could be hindering their worries and give them worries so that they could see where God would come through. So that when they did go, go out with their money bag, with their traveling bag, they would never fear not having enough. Because they would be like, oh yeah, remember that time when we didn't even have this stuff? Yeah, we, we, we know that God is protecting us. We know that God is with us. And even if we lose all of our money or like, get, you know, get beaten and all of our stuff taken away, we're still good. But he's saying things are about to get real. And I'm about to leave. Which we'll get to in a second. But Jesus' intention is clear. He is not a rebel leader of a blood-spilling insurrection. As we can see this later on when when he stops it in in the garden. He says, Stop! Enough of this! No more. No more violence. This is not the way. I believe Jesus was saying that he must fulfill scripture by them carrying swords. Basically saying, you know, tonight, go and grab, you know, we need we need a couple swords. You know, and grab them. Um so that it can be fulfilled. What does it say? What is he fulfilling? That verse there, when he, when he said, and he was counted among the lawless. So he had to fulfill scripture that he was counted among the lawless, this is from Isaiah 53, by being found with people who, in their, in their minds, that if you carried a weapon, you were up to no good. Right. If you carried weapons, you were intending to be a rebellion, in a rebellion, right? And they probably found the swords like in the house. It wasn't probably things that they were carrying with them always. It wasn't like the, hey, we procured a couple of the swords we've been carrying, you know, for all these months and years, you know, <laughs> they probably were in the house. He's like, wow, well, we found some. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, you're missing the point, guys, you know, <laughs> you know, um, because why? Because we see Peter rise up. He's like, oh, is this, is, is this what it is? Okay. We only have two swords, but there, there's like a hundred of y'all, but okay, you know. I mean, he did it. He did it for Gideon. Maybe he'll do it for me too. But Jesus is like, no, that's not the way. The way of the Father is peace. The way of the Father is faith. So the overtones of this passage, of getting ready to go and be independent, to be able to go, I think has the overtones of Matthew twenty-eight. Go and preach the gospel. He's basically saying, "Get ready. The kingdom is coming in fruition and fulfillment, and y'all are about to go, because I'm about to go." And so let's look at that. Let's, uh, you know, I'm about to go. So this is before the garden. So the only place where we see that really see this in scripture, um, and I'm going to try not to spend too much time here, but is John chapter fifteen through seventeen. Like I said a few weeks ago, um, that that uh, John spends about six chapters. On this night, like two of which on the Passover itself, and like three of them, three or four of them on just this night, um, after they leave the upper room to the time when he's arrested and and now in trial. Um, And so, fifteen through seventeen is all I believe in the temple. So at the end at the end of chapter fourteen in in uh, in John, he says, "Come, let us go from here." And even our passage it says here, "Um, "That is enough." He told them, and he went out. And made his way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And so there's this journey to the Mount of Olives. And if you know, I should have put a map, a map up here. But the place where they were spending the Passover was kind of in the southern region by the, the Pool of Siloam. Um, maybe even up up the hill a little bit from the, the lower area. Um, and so to get to the Mount of Olives, they had to go up into the temple, across the temple courts, and out the east gate. But I believe that Jesus stopped. Stop at what's called the beautiful gate, and the beautiful gate. If you if you know, see the, this imagery. Um, they believe that it had all this ornate um, grapevine imagery and omen trees. There's the, all this imagery of God's presence with His people, and on the door was a vine, a, a wine or a, a grape, a grapevine, and it had the branch with the roots, and then it came up and then spread across the wall and went out. And there were 12 branches representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's where we see John chapter 15. I am the true vine. And you are the branches. So he's using this whole visual illustration in the temple courts. And he's not only doing that, but he's talking about... He, he then goes into this, um, this, this whole you know, um, teaching and, and prayer and this is where I think that our verse 45, if you go to verse 45 there, it says, when He got up from prayer, He came to the disciples. He found them sleeping, exhausted from grief. Well, that's an interesting line. It doesn't tell us why. Why, why would these guys be in grief if they just spent this Passover, you know, Seder with Jesus, right? Why would they be sorrowful or full of grief? Well... Let's look at these things. look Look at John chapter 15. He says, stay with me. Always. Stay connected with me. I'm the true vine. You're my branches. Stay with me. Stay with me here. No matter what's about to happen, stay with me in heart. Always. Because guess what? The world hates you. And the world will always hate you. Why? Because you value what they don't. And that you don't value what they do. We are utterly different than the world. For them, the Jewish nation, the Jewish culture, and and, the, and then the world that uh, the greater Gentile pagan world as well, valuing convenience and and sexuality as gods, worshiping them as gods. And so he says, you know, so sixteen, he goes into this whole like he talks about how the world is going to hate you. And he's saying, you know, sorrow has filled your hearts. Ah! There's where we get, I think, the context. So we see the context is in chapter 16 of, of John. Sorrow has filled your hearts because I've said all these things to you. Um, you can uh, just see the different illustrations. So maybe put on there for your homework. <laughs> Go back and read John 15 through 17. Yeah, I have to do it written out. Um, because, But he says these things uh, in, in, in the, the latter part of, of chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you... All these things I, you're going to be—you're left. You're going to be brought before synagogues. You're going to be tried. You're going to be kicked out of synagogues. You're going to be killed. You're going to be beaten in my name. You're going to be killed in my name, and they think they're going to be doing a service to God by killing you. Even the, the Jewish folks are going to kill you, thinking that they're making God happy. The world is going to kill you, thinking that they're making their gods happy. The gods of power and control. The powers of sex. The powers of lies and deceit. Wealth. He said, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. But be creative. creative, Courageous. This is the same words that He says to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. You're about to go and enter into the kingdom and establish the kingdom in the land flowing with milk and honey. Go and be strong and courageous. You're about to take My presence into a new land and establish My kingdom rule. And these are the exact words that Jesus is giving to His church. To His church leaders. in in the temple be strong be courageous you're about to go into the world to establish my kingdom be strong and courageous why I have overcome the world and then you see all of John chapter 17 is Jesus' awesome and powerful prayer but it's interesting the tone of it is very complete Jesus is praying this prayer as though he's going away. And the disciples are still like, what the heck? What's going on? What's going on? Where are you going? Even though Jesus has told them like three or four times that he's about to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the, of the, of the Jews, be killed by the Gentiles, but God, he's going to come back. I'll be back. Right? And they still don't get it. Jesus is going away. They didn't understand Jesus's comments, but they would soon understand. And so they were probably stirred with great anxiety. I just feel the anxiety kind of bubbling up within the apostles, within the disciples. The sorrow over the great, you know, over over the threat of suffering. Just like you're going to suffer, they're like, I don't want to suffer. I don't. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to die. Like, all these like, self-preservation instincts start to like, start to fire back and forth, right? But they did not yet have, because guess, remember this, they did not yet have the, the boldness and the courage because the Holy Spirit did not yet been poured out. When the Holy Spirit fell, this is one of the, the most amazing proofs, A, for the resurrection, but also for the fulfillment of the sending of the Holy Spirit, these little cowards that run away at the at this, at the very site of conflict, are the ones straight up in the temple preaching, getting beaten, and all the disciples die, are persecuted and martyred except for John. They tried, they poisoned him, they boiled him alive, but God miraculously kept him safe. But every single one of the of the of these twelve disciples were killed for their faith. Boldness and courage would be poured out, but not yet. Jesus knew that in their great sorrow and anxiety, their natural instincts of fight or flight would kick in. This is why they kept falling asleep. Well, that and probably because of all the wine from Passover. <laughs> you know? These guys were probably a little shockered. No. Can you imagine like... All right, we'll go, we'll go there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but we, then we get to this place of the great temptation. So all that leads us into this place. After Jesus. Jesus wraps up his prayer they end up going out the East Gate and going to his favorite place. Because like, uh, like Luke says, as usual, he made his way as usual. You never, they don't have their favorite place to go. I, mean, I love going to Temple Hills, just going, going out there, away from cell phone service, away from everything, away from the hustle and bustle and, and the noise and just sitting by the creek and listening to the water flow, listening to the sounds of the winds, the trees, listening to the birds, and going up on top of a drinking horse, just looking over the city or looking the other direction, away from the city, up the canyon. Just feeling that place of peace, a place of just simply belonging, being in God's presence. That was Jesus Jesus, that was Jesus at the Mount of Olives. He loved going there and just looking and seeing and perceiving and just being with God. And so this great temptation that he's talking about. He, he spoke this about the great temptation, the trial. He spoke of this in all four Gospels. But this was not the temptation that they had of, of, like, of falling asleep. I think a lot of times the temptation is attributed to like, don't be tempted to fall asleep, guys. Stay watch. You're going you're gonna to be tempted to fall asleep again. That wasn't the t- great temptation. The great trial, the great temptation was to rise up, rebel, fight, injure, kill, And that Jesus would not go to the cross. As Peter so wrongfully corrected Jesus back back in the day. Oh, you will not die. You 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 will not die. You won't die. And what did Jesus have in response to these words? Get behind me, Satan. And in this moment, this is what Jesus is saying. Satan would tempt the disciples to rise in rage. Jesus is saying, no, 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 guys. Calm your anxious hearts. Calm it down. Don't get all riled up. Because Jesus must fulfill his mission. To be scourged, nailed to a cross between two thieves, and to die on the cross for our sins. Be buried. And then rise from the tomb. That's his mission. And that's the way that he has to die. That's the day, that's the way that Jesus had to fulfil Scripture. Jesus had to die on the cross on a hill, not in a bloodbath in a garden. To the Jewish leaders, Jesus was a false Messiah and worthy of death. Just like other you know, leaders, when they suffered, so like Barabbas was, a, was a, an insurrectionist, someone who was trying to you know, rise in rage with, with a bunch of his disciples, right? And so when, when these guys suffered and were tortured and were killed, oftentimes their followers were also rounded up and tortured and killed the same way as their leader. Barabbas just hadn't been killed yet. He was probably covered in scars, covered in wounds, fresh wounds from being tortured when he was brought to trial with Jesus, which we'll talk about later. And so Jesus is not mad that the disciples are. Jesus... Jesus is not mad that the disciples left him. He wasn't disappointed. He was like, wasn't like, oh, these guys, these little cowards. He was like, oh, thank God they left. Thank God that they are not on trial. I mean, because the trial you know, of his suffering and his death is the trial that Jesus would have to face. And he was desiring that they would be delivered from it. And that only he would suffer that fate. He didn't want all 12 of His disciples, or I guess the 11 that didn't betray Him, you know, being crucified behind Him. He, or the, you know, as many of the 120 that were probably following Him at this moment. He wanted them to run away. He was glad that they ran away. It's funny, there's even a little little thing. You know, Jesus, you know, uh, in, in the garden in, in, in uh, Mark, John Mark, the author of the book of Mark, actually kind of writes him, that scholars believe that He wrote Himself into the book of Mark. Because um, the book of Mark is actually Peter's gospel. So because John Mark, the disciple, followed Peter after the resurrection, ended up in Rome. And so this is Peter's gospel to the Romans, is the book of Mark. And so the scholars believe that he wrote himself in, in the garden, when he said there was a guy, there was a, there was a kid there that, that uh, wore a, only wore a tunic. And he was in the garden, and he left the tunic and ran away naked. <laughs> this little streaking kid running, running away, you know. Uh, that was John. Or that was, that was John Mark. <laughs> so, but they all scattered because Jesus had to pray alone. He had to be judged alone. He had to suffer alone and ultimately die alone to fulfill Scripture that says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And the disciples scattered. And it was good. And so then we get to this place about sweating blood. Because think about this. like He is so wrapped up in this, in, this anguish, in, in this anguish. In a sense, this may be as close as we'll see to seeing Jesus suffering from anxiety. He was anxious that his disciples would do something stupid like Peter did. He was, he was, he was afraid, in, in a sense, for them. He was praying for them. He, was, he had this intense pressure on himself, not just from what was happening in the garden, but what would happen on the cross, in the trials. As he says, this cup, you know, the, the cup of wrath, the, you know, the wrath of man, so the Jewish leaders and the Romans, and the wrath of God, and taking all the sins of the world upon himself. This is from Jeremiah. talking about the cup, how we can see this as being the cup of wrath. So Jeremiah 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations to whom I am sending you drink from it. They will drink, stagger, and go about, go out of their minds because of the sword I am sending among them. Also talks about the, the cup of wrath in Revelation as well. Jesus will become the great scapegoat. And we'll talk about that at a, you know, at a, on a later Sunday. But the scapegoat. But Jesus turned himself over to the enemy not just the Jewish leaders and the Romans. He turned himself over to the enemy and all the powers, principalities, authorities, and rulers of evil in the unseen realm to do their worst. As, as uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, he made the one who, knew, who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That was his purpose. Imagine you know, the scene, you know, I don't know if, you've, if, if you guys have seen or read the book uh, Narnia, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, where Aslan, you know, the, who's a figure of Jesus, he offers himself freely to be killed by the White Witch. And there's a scene in the movie where he's being surrounded by all these ghouls and witches and goblets and monsters of all different kinds. And this is this is most likely the, you know, what I believe to be the scene that is going on around him in the spiritual realm that we don't see that they didn't see that in the in the unseen realm in the spiritual realm he was surrounded by demons he was surrounded by monsters and spirits in the unseen realm because they thought they were having victory they were guiding all the, the charges and whispering false, falsities and lies into the different, you know, uh, different chief priests and Sadducees and the chief priests, Sanhedrin. He was speaking. I mean, think about this. Pilate's wife had a vision, had a dream about this Jesus, a demonic dream showing this man and what would happen. It may have been either demonic or it may have been God you know, trying to show this woman what was going on. You know, intervening supernaturally. Because that's another conversation. <laughs> Yet yeah, through all of this, through all of this, through the surrounding of the impending doom of his body, suffering, and spiritual anguish, Through all of this, Jesus was at peace. And He had joy. Because He knew He was fulfilling Scripture. He was fulfilling the plan for Him to save God's people. And He was fulfilling the establishment of the eternal kingdom of heaven on this earth. And empowering a faith that is still powerful today. Empowering a kingdom that will never go away. No matter how much it's persecuted. No matter how much it's marginalized. No matter how much it's legislated. No matter how much persecution and anxiety. and No matter how much Twitter blows up. No matter how many people just voice their hatred of the church. Christians and pastors. The church of Jesus Christ will never go away. Because what God established... Will never go away. Can never be done away with by any powers of this world. He even said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will never go away. It's interesting to note in this passage that he prayed once. He came over here and he prayed, "Father, if this cup, if, it's, if you're willing, to take this cup away from me." But it's interesting. Then an angel appeared. An angel came to him and strengthened him. And then he went on to pray even more aggressively, even more passionately, so much so that he sweat blood. So much so that he sweat. Now, could this have been a literal or figurative you know, expression? I mean, after all, it was a, it was a, a cool Evening in Israel, not a you know sweltering Texas summer of like 100 you know 90 to 100 degrees, right? There, there's a condition, a real condition today um, called hematid- hematidrosis. Hema, hemat, hematidrosis. There yeah, there we go. So basically, this is sweating blood under intense stress when blood vessels near the sweat and/or mucus glands burst and mix with the blood or mucus. <laughs> Um, so he became this suffering servant. Whether he literally sweat blood, or whether it was just a figurative figure of speech that he liked blood, either way, it doesn't matter. It was a cool Israel Israeli evening. Either way, he was sweating because he was just stressed out of his mind, out of his heart. He suffered in every way. Because he became our suffering servant, as it says in Isaiah 53. He suffered in every way. Physically, yes. But also, as we can illustrate here, mentally and emotionally just distraught. Broken, worried, anxious, stressed. This is Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are, and yet is, is without sin. So even if Jesus did feel this anxiety and strife and stress in his spirit, he still didn't sin. He, he never lacked trust in God, his Father, in all of this. And then the moment came. The kiss. The answer to the disciples' wonderings about who could it be that's going to betray you, Jesus, was right in front of him. Judas. The kiss in that culture was a sign of loyalty and great affection. It's not; it wasn't just a romantic symbol like it is for us today, or, or like a you know kiss on the cheek to our mom and dad. It's more maybe attuned to that, like a kiss a kiss on the cheek to your mom and dad, a sign of affection, a sign of love and devotion. Right? I mean, this is you know this is what Paul says to give a holy one of these to one another in the church. It was basically to show a great sign of affection to one another. To encourage the churches to give to one another these kisses, these signs of affection. For us, maybe today in our culture, it's just a warm embrace, a hug. Like I preached the Sunday literally right before we shut down for COVID. You know, the power of physical touch. Go back and watch it. one. It's a good one. The bitterness of the horseradish during the Passover was nothing compared to the bitterness of brotherly betrayal. And the reason. The words of Jesus' prayer in John 17, I think, were in the heart of Jesus in this moment, in these moments. The entire way through this anguish and betrayal in the garden, through his trials, his beatings, his scourging, his crucifixion, his death, they were all encapsulated within the first beat of Jesus' heart when he rose from the dead. These are the words of John, chapter, eight, chapter 17. I'm not, not going to read the whole thing, but add that to your homework. It <laughs> so said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. May they be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you. And they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus' passion, Jesus' heart, Jesus' mind, the entire way through His prayer in the garden, through His arrest, His suffering, and His crucifixion, and His death, was that on His heart. I am doing all this so that You may be one, even as we are one, Holy Father. I am doing all this so that the world may know that You sent me, Father, by the love that I am pouring out for them. Jesus loves you. Every one of you. Every single one of you. Jesus loves you. He had this in His heart for you. He had this in His heart for us, His church, for you. And He loves those around you. pray then how do we respond to this we pray as jesus prayed calling god our father as he says i've sent you the holy spirit within your hearts crying out abba father god is saying i've given you myself i'm giving you myself as a good father no matter what kind of father you had either great or grievous. Honorable or horrendous. He's, he's inviting us into that relationship with Him. To pray as Jesus prayed intimately with His Father. To serve others as Jesus served. And to love. To love the Lord. To love one another. And to love those outside of the kingdom as Jesus loved. That's the whole reason why we're reading the book of Luke. That's the whole reason for these last two years was for us to see and experience the love of Jesus Christ through His life on earth so that we would know how to live our lives in prayer and service and in love. Make Him known and make Him experienced. Let the world experience Jesus and experience the love of the Father through you. By how you pray. How you serve. How you love. <coughs> Follow the Father. <coughs> as Jesus did. As Jesus did. Follow the Father through all the suffering and grief that we, fought, that we experience in this world. By faith. by faith and peace. Amen. Be courageous. Be courageous. In this life, you're going to have suffering. But take heart. Our Father has overcome the world Amen. Through, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your grace and Your love. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would stir within us this affection for You, Father. For us to follow You and to call You our good Father. And to bless others, even our own earthly fathers, whether they were good or bad. Whether they are good or are bad. Help us to honor them by loving them in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray your blessing on your church. Lord, that we would indeed be one as you and Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. That you would love, just pour out your love in and through us, Lord God. Let us get on board with you Lord Jesus and what you want to do in your world and Lord empower us with boldness and cour- and, cour- and uh, courageousness in this world give us feet to bring the goodness of the gospel to a needing world around us to live your love in this world to one another and to others help us to experience you Abba Father And the love that you have to give. First, in Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.